right. Good morning again. If you're joining us online this morning, we're so glad you're joining us, whether that's our Facebook Live page or our website, or if you're out in the concourse, wherever you are this morning or here in the worship center, thanks for being here. And uh, we're continuing a series, as you just saw, the series is called That's a Great Question. What we're doing is uh, we're looking at a cultural topic or a biblical concept, and we're answering a question related to that so that if you're a Christian, you can with confidence step into conversations with people in your relational world and talk to them about what you believe from a biblical perspective. Uh, and no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we just pray these messages would bring you one step closer to fully surrendering your life to the Lord. The question we're answering today is, is it okay to be like Martha? Now, Martha is a character in the Bible. And if you know the story of Martha and Mary, we're going to look at that. Uh, Martha gets a bad rap a lot. And we're going to look at the, some of the positive qualities of Martha today and how the Lord challenged her. I think there's more Marthas in the church than Mary's. I think, I think more. There you go. Is that a Martha clapping out there? Come on. <laughs> be proud. Stand up. Be loud. Martha. Okay. Um, yeah. So let's pray. God, thank you this morning for your word, the power of your word, the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, that it changes us. It transforms us from the inside out. And I just pray, Lord, as we look at this story of Martha and Mary, you'd help us to understand what it means to follow you more fully and more completely. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, just like the children, if you have a Bible this morning, please turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to jump into that story in just a minute. Luke chapter 10. The story of Martha and Mary is a pretty familiar story in the New Testament. If you've been around the church very long, you've probably heard that story before, and it's it's a story of what it means to really follow Jesus. And, and any time we, we choose to follow Jesus, it always requires that we give something up. When Jesus called the disciples, sometimes he said, go and sell all your possessions. Uh, you know, walk away from your family. Uh, there, there were things that the Lord said. Sometimes they just had to, they had to give up, you know, businesses. They had to give up lands. They had to give up farms, whatever it was. And, and I found that, that the more I walk with Jesus, the more he wants to refine my life, and there's always something he asks me to lay aside or to give up in order to more fully follow him. So my question this morning is, what are you willing to do, <clears throat> excuse me, what are you willing to give up or lay down in order to follow Christ? Is there anything you wouldn't lay down? Is there anything you wouldn't give up in order to follow Jesus? Let me ask you this. Would you give up a really good job if the Lord asked you to give that up to follow Jesus? My wife gave up her dream job twice because it wasn't the Lord's time. It wasn't his will at that moment in life. Would you give up dating if you're single and the Lord asked you to give that up? The Lord asked me to give up dating in college. And for well over a year, I didn't date. I uh, just invested my time in the Lord. And that was a really healthy time for me. But uh, he, he said, lay that aside. I don't want you dating right now. I want you working on some other things. If the Lord asked you to give up alcohol, would you give it up completely? God asked me to do that a number of years ago. He said, that's just not what I want for you. And so you, as you walk with the Lord, there are things that he asks you to lay aside. W would you move away from living by the beach to move to South Dakota? <laughs> I can remember the conversation so clearly. It was December of 2010. We're sitting on Huntington Beach, and I had put in an application to some church called Central in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Now, I was beginning to correspond with them about this lead pastor position, 
And we're sitting there talking about would we want to go? You know, what do we know about South Dakota? And the only thing that we knew for sure about South Dakota was Mount Rushmore. And we had, we had been there before. But I knew one other thing from a history class earlier. I knew that, that when the pioneers um, were trying to get to California to go to Huntington Beach, um, when they passed through South Dakota, they all died because it was so cold. And so I, I just figured God didn't want anybody to live in South Dakota. There's just no way. So here, here we are 13 years later, still alive, survive, surviving the cold. Hasn't it been a great fall? It's been a great fall. Yeah, we can praise the Lord for that. Great stuff. So um, the story of Martha and Mary, uh, let me just say this before I say that. Um, no matter what the Lord has asked us to give up, he's always given us way more than we lost. If the Lord ever asks you to, to lay something aside or give something up, he's always going to give you way more than you lost. And, and the story of Martha and Mary, in that story, Jesus invites Martha to give some things up so that he could give her what she never had. He asks her to give some things up, to lay some things aside, so that he could give her what she never had. So let's look in that story. In Luke chapter 10, we're going to begin reading in verse 38. I'll give you just a second if you're not there already. Luke 10, 38. As Jesus and the disciples, now we don't know how many disciples, but there were some disciples accompanying Jesus. As they continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her then to come and help me. Now, I'm fully convinced that when Martha asked that question of Jesus, she was convinced that Jesus was going to turn and scold Mary and say, yeah, what are you doing in the living room when there's stuff that needs to be done in the kitchen? Martha was fully convinced that Jesus was going to reprimand Mary for not doing the work. But he didn't respond that way. So the Lord said to Martha, my dear Martha, or Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. So what do we learn about Martha from this story? I want to share a few quick thoughts. The first thing we learn is that Martha welcomed Jesus. Martha welcomed Jesus. Here's what the text says. Verse 38. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, again, we don't know how many disciples, but it was more than Jesus. They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. No mention of anyone else. Luke wants us to know that it was Martha who welcomed them. What does it mean by welcoming them? That, that means she extended hospitality. It means she was the one that, that greeted them and then offered to them Jewish hospitality. It means, it means she would have washed all of their feet. She would have cleaned all of their sandals. She would have given them a cup of water. She would have, have anointed their dry skin with oil. She would have kissed each one of them on the cheek when they arrived. She would have prepared the guest room. She would have cleaned the house. She would have laid out the snack tray with, with olives and fruit and nuts and bread and maybe some hummus and maybe a little bit of wine. She laid all of that out. 
She prepared the guest room. There's no mention of anyone else. And my question is, where's Mary? Where's Mary when all this stuff's going on? Why does Luke tell us that it was only Martha who greeted Jesus and the disciples at the door? See, as you read through the New Testament, you see that almost every time Jesus went to Jerusalem, he stopped at this house. He stopped in Bethany. It was his home away from home. Why? Why did Jesus want to stay there? One word, Martha. This story would not even be in the Bible without Martha because Jesus loved staying at Martha's house. Now, if you are a grandparent and you have any grandkids living near you, they ought to love coming to your house. They, they should love the fact that you let them eat things their parents don't let them eat. They should love the fact that you let them stay up a little bit past their bedtime when their parents wouldn't, or, or let them break a few rules that their parents... They should love coming to your house just like Jesus loved being at Martha's house. Martha, because of this incredible gift of hospitality and service, she would have been highly esteemed in her Jewish community because hospitality was a core value in Israel. And Martha was the best of the best. So Martha welcomed Jesus, but the second thing is Martha loved Jesus. Now you can say what you want about Mary. Mary sat at his feet. Mary listened to his teaching. Mary was a suck-up. You can say whatever you want about Mary. Mary definitely loved Jesus, but Martha loved Jesus. And the way that we, we see Martha demonstrating that love is by serving him. Martha offered hospitality. You, you know, service is one of the five love languages, did you know? You can, you can express love to people by acts of service. And Martha is, is loving Jesus by serving him. Let's look at the text. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner. Say the big dinner. So again, we don't know how, how many people were there, but there was a lot of preparation that was going on. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just... <laughs> Don't you love that? Just sits here while I do all the work. Tell her to come and help me. Now, I believe that this was not just a couple of people, Jesus and, you know, one other person. I don't think she would have got frustrated over that. I think she, she would have thought to herself, I can handle this. But this was a bigger deal. This was a bigger affair. And I think she realized when Mary went down, they were all in trouble. When, when Mary went to the living room and was no longer helping out, see, Martha knew the event. Martha knew what it was going to take, and Martha knew without Mary, she was going to be struggling. That's why she's begging Jesus to get Mar Mary back in the kitchen, because she needed that. So I want to ask, are you a Martha or are you a Mary? Let me describe Martha's for a minute here, and you can sort of make the decision, am I more of a Martha or am I more of a Mary? So Martha's are like project managers. They, they know tasks and they know exactly what it's going to take to get it done. They, they plan, they organize, and then they execute the plan with precision. They know exactly what needs to happen. They, they, the second thing is that Martha's love to-do lists. You guys, any of you like to-do lists? When, when, when they, why do they like to-do lists? Because they're industrious. They're workers. They get things done. The bigger the list, the better. That means more to do. And, and, and to, for a, a Martha to check something off of her to-do list, it's like an adrenaline rush. It's like endorphins just flowing all through their body. Man, they, they get a charge out of checking things off 
of their to-do list because that's, what they're, that's how they're motivated to serve and to work and to get things done. So they're like project managers. They, they um, what did I just say? It's just fourth service, so, so they, uh, they're, um, they're to-do lists. The third thing is they're perfectionists. Now, when we hear the word perfectionist, do you think positive or negative? Negative, right? In this case, I don't want to read it that way. Uh, Martha, remember, she loved Jesus. And Martha wanted to serve Jesus well. Martha wanted this, this dinner, she wanted this event to be perfect because she loved the Lord. And she wanted it to be absolute, absolutely fantastic for him. Remember, she's motivated by love. Now, now, Martha's can be a little controlling because they know what needs to get done. They know who needs to get what. They don't, they don't like laziness, right? They, they might hurt your feelings along the way if you're helping them with something because they know what needs to be done. If you don't do it exactly right, they, they may not like that. But they're a little bit perfectionistic. But when they're motivated by love, it's a good thing because those are the people that get things done right. They get it done correctly. They get it done in the way that it's supposed to, to be done. And the last thing about Martha's is they are incredibly responsible. I mean incredibly. You give them a task, you can check it off your list. It's done. So, so Tom Rich, our executive pastor, don't tell him I said this, but he's a Martha. Tom's a Martha. And that's a good thing because if I, if I give Tom a person or a project to handle, it's always done in a timely manner, and it's always done with excellence. He, he, just, he just knows how to handle things, and he, and he gets it done in a right way. So are you a Martha, or are you more of a, of a Mary? Well, if we, as we continue in this story, Martha gets frustrated. Martha has a moment, and everything changes. Let's read the story. Verse 40, but, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem, now watch the language here. Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister, say my, my sister just sits here while I do, say I, I do all the work. Tell her to come and help me, say me. That word distracted uh, in that story is, the, is the, the Greek word para, let me look it up here again, I, for, I forgot there it is, perispao. And, and it, means, it means to get, to get turned around. It means to get pulled away from something. It means to, to lose your perspective. What's going on with Martha right now? Martha's got this big thing going on. She, she's got a lot happening. She, she wants to do it right. She wants to do it well. And she doesn't have Mary helping. So things are going a little bit, a little bit sideways for her right now. And she has a little bit of a meltdown. A little bit of a Christian meltdown. You've never had one of those, I know. Mary, Mary snaps a little bit. Because in Mary's mind, this all of a sudden, instead of being a love gift to Jesus, it becomes about her. Look at the language. Don't you care that, that my sister isn't? I do all the work. Don't, don't Tell her to come and help me. I, me, my. Everything turns, and now it's about Martha. It's not about Jesus anymore. Mary get, uh, Martha gets miffed, frustrated, melts down, and loses her perspective. She gets pulled off task, and all of a sudden she's thinking about how this affects her instead of how it affects the Lord, and she's melting down. Before we judge Martha too harshly, 
Have you ever had a Christian meltdown? I have. As a Christian husband, I've melted, I've had meltdown moments with my wife. As a Christian father, I've had meltdown moments with my kids. As a Christian basketball coach, <laughs> my wife told me last service, you've had a lot of those meltdown moments as a coach. As a pastor, I've had meltdown moments. I've had meltdown moments with my board. I've had meltdown moments with my staff. I've had meltdown moments with individuals in the church. Have you? Now, now again, before we judge Martha too harshly, do you ever have those bad moments? Those moments when you lose focus, those moments when, when you get turned around, those moments when you stumble spiritually, those moments when you fall into anger and disappointment and you allow offense to begin to ruin everything? Here's what I love about the story. I love Jesus' response. Jesus comes into Mary and he doesn't scold her. He doesn't berate her. He doesn't belittle her. He lovingly encourages her. Listen to what it says. But the Lord said to her, <laughs> My dear Martha, or, or literally, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about right now, and Mary's discovered it, and it won't be taken away from her. In that moment, in that moment of meltdown, in that moment when Mary, Martha snapped a little bit, when she kind of lost it, she needed to follow Jesus in that moment. She needed to, needed to lay some things aside and follow Jesus into what he had for her in that moment. So what I want to do in the last couple of minutes here is I want, to, I want to talk about what Jesus asked Martha to lay down. I, I think he asked her to lay down four things in order to follow him. Maybe you'll relate to some of these. The first thing Jesus asks Martha to lay down is her identity, to lay down her identity. Hospitality, serving, was what gave Mary, uh, Martha a sense of value. It's what made her feel significant. People affirmed Martha for her hospitality. Oh, you're the greatest cook ever. No one keeps a cleaner house than you do. Oh, you're the, the hostess with the mostest. I mean, you're, you're amazing, Martha. And Martha has this sense of value and significance and identity because of what she does as a hostess in her home. And that became her identity. She began to form her identity around serving and hospitality. And we all struggle with this. We, 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 there's areas of life that we, we do well or, or that people affirm us in or we, we find value or meaning in. And suddenly that becomes our identity. In, in high school and college, basketball was my identity. That's where I got affirmation. I, I wasn't that bad. I was pretty good. And, and so on the court, you know, people would affirm me. And, and, and it's, where, it's where I really felt like, yeah, I, I just, I'm a difference maker. My sophomore year of college, I got mono. And I missed most of the year. Sat on the bench. And that was an identity crisis. All of a sudden, my sense of value went away. Because I wasn't producing anything. All of a sudden, my sense of significance went away. If you've ever been laid off of a job and you're in between jobs, and all of a sudden you're, you're not being productive, man, you go through an identity crisis. Like, who am I? Like, my, my whole identity was wrapped up in being a, a really good physician or a really good construction guy, really good whatever. And when that gets taken away, man, you, you struggle with that. There's sometimes, usually when I don't preach on, on a weekend, I'm not here because I'm uh, away on vacation or working remotely or something. 
when I am here and Pastor Neil preaches or Pastor Adam preaches or somebody, I feel weird. Like, what am I, do- what am I doing here? Like, I'm supposed to be preaching. That's like my identity, right? And when I'm not doing that, I feel like, wait a second. Do I have any value? Does the congregation even love me? Am I, am I even worth anything because I'm not preaching? Do you see how our identity gets wrapped up in, in what, we, what we do? So where, where do you find identity? Do you find it in work? If you're in high school or college, do you find it in sports? Do you find it in your money? Do you find it in your appearance? A couple of weeks ago, we had a, a young football player from Augustana University had a video, Matt, Matt Chitty, and he talked about how football was his identity, and when he, when he got hurt and couldn't play, man, he, he went back into drugs and alcohol because he, he lost his identity. He lost his sense of value and his sense of of worth. So so Jesus invites Martha to not find her identity in hospitality, but to find her identity in him. Because then your value never goes away. Then your significance never goes away because it's based on the love of God towards you, not anything you do. So, So we can always have a sense of meaning and significance because of the unconditional love of God toward us in Christ. So we don't ever have to lose our our sense of identity if it's if it's rooted and grounded in Christ. The second thing Martha had to lay aside was her reputation. She had to lay down her reputation if she was going to follow Jesus. In that day, a a woman's place literally was in the kitchen. It was with domestic duties and responsibilities. A a woman could not be taught by a rabbi. That was reserved for Jewish men, Jewish young men. So uh, young ladies could be educated. They could go to the rabbi's school until they were in about fifth grade. After fifth grade, they went home, no more education, and then their moms trained them in domestic duties so that when they got older and they got married, they could be a good cook and take care of the house and all of those things that Jewish women did. They, 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 they didn't have the, the privilege of being taught by a rabbi. Jesus was inviting Martha and had already invited Mary to go against the culture and sit at his feet. See, when Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, she was violating culture. Women were not supposed to be sitting at the foot of a rabbi, and Jesus was the ultimate rabbi. And so he encourages them to do something that went against the culture of the day. Mary's wrestling with this question. What what will people think of me if I go against what is normal and right and sit at Jesus' feet? What if I don't stay in the kitchen? What if I stop cooking? What if I do what only the men do in our culture? She's struggling with what are people going to think about me if I do things that the culture's not doing. Following Jesus means going against what other people think, friends. Following Jesus means going against culture. Following Jesus means laying down your reputation. Is your, is your reputation right now keeping you from following Jesus? Jesus invites Martha to follow him, but it requires that she give up her identity and she give up her reputation. The third thing she had to give up was her pride. Martha thought that if she stopped working on this project and gave Jesus her time, everything's going to fall apart, right? Martha Martha didn't trust Jesus. Jesus is saying, hey, come come spend a few minutes here and trust, trust the outcome with God. Now, Martha was probably a workaholic, and some of you are workaholics. Workaholics find it difficult to work less and trust God with the results, so they never stop working. Because it's, because it's all on you. The, the company's success rides on you. The church's success rides on you. Your family's success rides on you. And if you don't do it, man, this whole thing's going to come crashing down. That's called pride. 
So, so we, 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 we don't stop working, and we don't trust God with the results. Jesus invites Martha to give him some of her time and to trust him with the results. Now, I know it's really close to lunch, so don't, I don't want to lose you right now, but I want you to think Chick-fil-A. Okay, just think Chick-fil-A for a minute. Owners of Chick-fil-A are Christians. They said, we're going to run our, our business differently. We're, we're actually going to trust God. We're going to be open six days a week instead of seven. Every other restaurant's open seven days. We're going to be open six out of seven days, which is 85% of the time. We're going to trust God with the other 15%. Now, think about all the millions of Christians on Sunday that are asking the question like you are right now, where are we going to lunch today? What are we eating today? Ah, chicken from God, right? <laughs> Let's do Chick-fil-A today. Oh, they're not open on Sunday, right? Can you imagine how much business they could make on Sunday? And the owner said, no, we're going to give our employees a day off. We're going to encourage them to go to church. We're going to encourage them to spend that time with the Lord. And we're going to trust God with the 85% that he gives us, that he's going to make up for the other 15%. Has he? <laughs> Chick-fil-A's not doing too badly, are they? You know, a lot of Christians are really struggle with tithing, giving God 10% of their income. Because they say, how am I going to live on 90% of my income. And God says, trust me with the 10%. You, you live on 90, and, 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 and I guarantee you, if you ask anybody in the church that's tithed for any amount of time at all, they're going to say, we, we get more than 100%. God blesses us because we trust him with the rest. We trust him with the, the 10%. It usually ends up to be 25 or 30% more than we would have had if we wouldn't have tithed. But see, Martha was wrestling with, do I do I lay down my pride and trust God with the results? Maybe some of you need to think about it. The last thing this morning that Martha had to give up was her comfort. Martha was more comfortable cooking than doing spiritual stuff. Now, now Mary loved spiritual stuff. Mary loved sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary loved listening to the teaching of Jesus. Martha's sweet spot was the kitchen. Martha's sweet spot was hospitality. She was way more comfortable doing that than spiritual stuff. So Jesus invites Martha to step into what was clearly uncomfortable for her. Sitting at his feet, I mean, can you imagine? She'd just be like, I gotta be doing something right now, right? There, there's people that are hungry. There, there's, there's glasses that need to be filled. How, how, how am I gonna do that? Because she's wired that way. You know, I found in the church that most men are more comfortable solving problems than reading the Bible. Most men are more comfortable doing a fix-it project, not me, but most men are more comfortable doing a fix-it project than leading their family in prayer. Most men are more comfortable talking about sports than singing worship songs in church. They're just not comfortable doing spiritual stuff. For many Christian men, worshiping in church is really uncomfortable. Jesus invited Martha to follow him by laying down her personal comfort and stepping into something that was uncomfortable. I think public worship is one of those places for us, guys. We maybe don't like singing. We're maybe not comfortable with it. Maybe we wish worship was five minutes instead of 20. There's other things we're more comfortable with in life, and I'll say it in just a minute, but I believe public worship gives us the opportunity to lay down all four things. Identity, reputation, pride. Gives us the opportunity to lay, lay all of that down and we're going to take a few minutes here in just a second, and we're going to spend time in worship. 
I love the fact that every, every week I look out and we've got dads with their kids in the service, teenagers, young kids. Maybe you're a single guy, it doesn't matter. You, you have the opportunity, whenever we gather together, to be an example, to lead your children in something that is uncomfortable for you, in something that isn't your favorite thing. But if you want your child to be a worshiper, then you need to be a worshiper. If you want your children to step into things that are uncomfortable for them, they need to see you stepping into things that are uncomfortable for you. Did you notice the story has no ending? We don't know what happened. Does that frustrate you? It's like a movie with no closure. We want to know, did they get married? What happened in that story, right? We don't know if Mary went into the living room or if Mary stayed in the kitchen. What do you think she did? Do you know why those stories don't end in the Bible? Because you get to write the story. You get to end the story. You get to say how your story ends. So you have a choice today. You can stay in the kitchen or you can follow Jesus into the living room.